trigger warning. This podcast episode contains discussions of a highly sensitive nature, including suicidal thoughts and the failure of kidney transplants that may be triggering for some individuals. If you or someone you know is suicidal, please contact your GP, the GP out of hours service, or call the NHS on 111, or go to your local A&E, or call Suicide Prevention Support for your country. For the United Kingdom, the number available 24 hours a day for the Samaritans is 116123. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's go. Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast in partnership with Kidney Care UK. Sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. My name is Dee Moore and I am a kidney warrior. This podcast is dedicated to encourage, educate and inspire as we explore all aspects of kidney disease, related chronic illnesses and health. If you have any questions or ideas for topics you would like me to cover, please get in contact with me on social media using the handle Diary of a Kidney Warrior. In today's episode, I am bringing you a kidney warrior story. Now there's always something you can learn from someone's story, something that can bring inspiration and hope. My guest today from Milton Keynes, England is Chef Darren Ferguson. Darren has a passion for cooking and music and has been a drummer for many years. Darren joined me today for the first part of a two-part series of Darren's remarkable story of receiving six kidney transplants. Hi and welcome to Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast. How are you doing today, Darren? I'm good, thank you very much. How are you? I'm good. I'm really looking forward to our interview today and the listeners know what I'm going to say. I love recording Kidney Warrior stories because as I've said many times before, there's always something you can learn from someone's story. And your story, Darren, is no exception. I have to say that your story, Darren, is definitely one of the most unusual stories that we will be recording on the podcast today. And I have to start also with a trigger warning because we're going to be talking about transplantation and you've been through so many challenging experiences and we will be talking about multiple transplants today. And if anyone's on the transplant waiting list, and I am myself, so this is something that I can relate to personally, we may be talking about issues that may be difficult to hear. So I just want to give a trigger warning ahead of our conversation just so that people know that we may be covering subjects that people may find challenging or sensitive to listen to. But more than anything else, I know that seeing the smile on your face as we're sitting talking today after being through so many challenging experiences, to me, there's so much that people can learn and so much hope that people can gain by hearing your story. So I really, really want to get into this interview and hear what you have to say. So without further ado, I'm going to ask my first question. And my first question is, how did your kidney warrior journey begin? And how were you diagnosed? Before I begin, I'd just like to say thank you for having me on. It's a great honor to be on this platform with you. So how my journey began 
was I was born in Kettering, Bedfordshire, and my mother took me home after birth, put me down. I didn't wake up. I didn't cry. I had no dirty nappies, no wet nappies. When she tried to pick me up to feed me, put the food in my mouth, and it literally just came out the other side of my mouth. There was nothing going in at all. And if you're a parent, you would know straight away there's something wrong. You know, every baby cries or needs their nappy changing, needs feeding at some point. But from the time I went home, there was nothing. In some case, you would say I was a perfect baby because, you know, the mother can go and sleep. But yeah, immediately she took me to our local hospital in Kettering at the time. And they knew just by looking at me, something was wrong and just said, we don't have the facilities to even look at what the issue is. We're going to send him to Great Ormond Street Hospital in London. They'd done that. I was blue-lighted to Great Ormond Street. For me personally, one of the best hospitals on the planet, in my opinion. Right away, they'd done tests, scans, x-ray, you name it, they'd done it. And they came back and says, unfortunately, your son has chronic kidney disease from a blocked valve. And I always remember my mum telling me, like, Immediately, they took me to theatre. I had tubes everywhere, in my arms, in my neck, in my legs. And I was born very small, apparently a bag of sugar. That's how small I was. And yeah, that was the start of my kidney journey. They said that I had chronic kidney disease. And yeah, this boy will not live past the age of seven. It's that bad. That was the beginning of a horrendous but exciting at times journey. For your mum to be told your newborn baby has got chronic kidney disease and then to yeah. say you wouldn't live past the age of seven. Yeah. I mean, as a mother myself, to hear that news, I'd be absolutely devastated. She sure. must have been terrified. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a parent and I don't know what I would do if I heard that about my newborn. But yeah, she was a very strong woman, you know, and I think, you know, women have this instinct that you just, something kicks into gear and you just get on with whatever you got to do for your child to survive. And yeah, I'm really grateful to her, you know, that she had the initiative to take me to the hospital in the first place. <laughs> you know, some people may have been, let's just leave it for a while. Maybe, you know, newborn things will kick in or whatever. But yeah, she just knew. And yeah, I thank God that she took me to the hospital in Kettering and they had the initiative also to take me to a better hospital that had the facilities, the equipment, the surgeons, doctors that were able to identify my issue at such a young age. So you said that one of the valves were blocked. So yeah. how did they start the process of treatment with yourself? So what they had to do is from a very young age, they had to remove one kidney. They just said it was too infected. And if they left it in there, there was no way I was going to survive. So you can imagine at the age of probably a couple of months old, literally having my first surgery to remove one kidney. At the time, they said the other kidney should be okay once this one is infected. But unfortunately, it got so bad that the other half of my kidney got infected. So literally within a few weeks, they had to remove half of the other kidney. And they did say that it's not going to work on half a kidney. So I literally had to start dialysis literally overnight after having surgery. And yeah, I had to have hemodialysis at a very young age, which I didn't even know was possible thinking about it now. But yeah, it was a very interesting time, let's, say, let's put it that way. So how old were you at this time? So, I mean, it's incredible to think that such a young child would have 
essentially both kidneys removed and so be 100% dependent on dialysis to, yeah. to live literally. So yeah. How old were you at that time? I was literally a few months old at this point of having surgery and starting dialysis. Yeah, it was kind of crazy because when I was born, I was very small. I was literally like the size of a, a bag of sugar. <laughs> you know, literally weighed nothing and to think that this was the beginning of my life to be in hospital having already major surgery and starting dialysis at a very young age. So yeah, it was literally like a few months old when this, this all began. So what are your memories of having hemodialysis as a young child? Do you know what, to be fair, it, it was really good despite the circumstance. Obviously, you know, as a child, you want to be out in the park playing football or whatever your thing is, even to be honest, at school, because then you'd feel like a normal person. But I have to give so much credit to the hospital and the staff because they just had this natural way of making you feel normal. You know, forget the dialysis machines and the surgery and all that other stuff. You're just a normal person. You know, so my memories are actually really good. The staff just made me feel very comfortable despite the situation that I was in. I was able to play on game consoles, do reading, writing, drawing, whatever I wanted to do in that period. They allowed me to do it until I got to a certain age and they became a lot more stricter where it's like, okay, it's time to, <laughs> time to start an education. <laughs> and yeah, because I was missing so much school, they had to assign a personal tutor for me where instead of playing games on dialysis, they would structure lessons for me. So one lesson may be, and one session may be maths and then English, history, whatever it may be. But yeah, I'm really grateful to the team that I had at that point because, yeah, they just made me feel like a, a great person at times, to be honest, and nothing really mattered what was going on around me. It's so nice to hear that you were given that experience. I mean, it could have been so different if you had different staff taking care of you. So to hear that whilst on hemodialysis, you were able to feel good and able to actually enjoy that experience actually sure. puts a smile on my face and just goes to show and credit to those staff for making that experience as pleasant for you as possible even though it was such difficult circumstances at such a young age? Yeah, no, they were absolutely amazing, you, you know, and there were a number of children on the ward, but it always felt like you were there on your own. You know, they made you feel really special. It wasn't a case of you're asking too many questions or, oh, no, we need to rush to this person. They always gave enough time for you. And, yeah, I always remember Christmas was always so special, <laughs> always. It was absolutely incredible you know because yeah you want to be at home with your family and stuff like that but due to treatment or procedures or surgery that I've had at the time I would spend time in the hospital but yeah they just made it feel absolutely amazing that okay you're on dialysis or just had surgery but it's Christmas day let's forget that and just you know forget your diet that you're on and if you want to eat a sweet it's okay if you want to drink fizz it's okay but just for this day only but yeah these people at the hospital will always hold a very special place in my heart because, yeah, they were just absolutely amazing. So you went on to have your very first kidney transplant. How old were you at the time and how did the transplant come about? So I was five years old at the time and 
all this stuff I'm going to tell you is from what my parents told me because obviously at A5, I'm not even responsible. So, so we got a phone call early hours in the morning. If I remember correctly, I remember my mum saying it was about two, three o'clock in the morning and saying, we've got a kidney for Darren. And mum barged into my room to wake me up, say, we've got to go, we've got to go, we've got to go to the hospital. You know, obviously I didn't really understand what was going on. I remember that my brother had to be woken up, taken to my nan's house. And yeah, we rushed down to Great Ormond Street Hospital, put into this room and done a number of tests, you know, blood tests, scans, everything, you know. It was hours that passed before they actually came into the room and said, Mr. Ferguson or Mrs. Ferguson, excuse me, at the time, your son's going to have a kidney transplant. Within the next hour, I was with down to theatre to have my first transplant. And what difference did receiving the transplant make to your life? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. But you know what? To be fair, it was a bit of sweet because I'd made so many great friends in the hospital during the time of my dialysis. And I knew I was going to leave those behind. But then I was thinking about, okay, my future, I'm able to go to school, I'm able to go to the park, I'm able to play football, I'm able to do whatever. And it was such an amazing feeling to wake up from the surgery. And actually, I know this is going to sound really strange, but I could actually go to the toilet and pee. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't sound strange at all. I mean, for some people with CKD, they don't urinate at all. So no. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so I remember after surgery, you know, after surgery, you, you've got a bag where they, you know, you pass in urine and they can measure how much output you've got to see how well the kidney's working. And every time I used to urinate, I would just smile, <laughs> literally. <laughs> People must have thought I was absolutely crazy, but it was literally like one of the best feelings because it actually made me feel like I'm getting a part of my life back. You know, I've lost five years that I could never get back. But now I'm going to, even though I'm really young, I'm going to yeah, just play football, play with my friends, do whatever I want. Yeah, go to school. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. It really was. I know that this kidney, unfortunately, went on to fail. So how long did you have with this first kidney? This first kidney lasted, if I remember correctly, three to four years. Yeah. And we're back to square one. Literally back to where I left a few years. Yeah, just rejected. Literally overnight, just gave up, you know. And um, yeah, my consultant, I've always been blessed with great consultants. And my consultant at Great Ormond Street, I'll never forget, because we always used to call him Santa Claus because he had a white beard, white hair. (laughs) Um, You know, but he was absolutely amazing. I remember him telling me that I had to go back onto dialysis. At that age, it didn't really affect me, to be honest, because I'm still young, you know. So, yeah, I just got on with whatever I had to do. It wasn't nice, you know, because I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. But, yeah, I was young enough. I was kind of, in a way, strong enough that, yeah, just get on with whatever you got to do, really. So you were on dialysis for a number of years after the unfortunate failing of your first transplant. But I know that you had an extra special visitor while you were in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Oh, my days. Yeah, this is one of my 
greatest privileges that I would ever have in my life, to be honest. I remember the unit was in hysterics. You know, they cleaned the ward extra special. Uh, I don't know. We did. We wasn't told at the time. They were cleaning the walls, wiping down the walls, you know, cleaning the beds and everything. We're like, what on earth is going on? And the doctor came around and said, we're going to have a special guest from the royal family. We're like, okay. To us, it was like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, we're young, who cares? Uh, (laughs) And we were asked to do a special card. And we were then told it was going to be the late Princess Diana. Oh, wow. I know. Now, if you know me, I've always loved Princess Diana. Always. So they were like, write a message in the card that you'd want her to read. And I thought, okay, what am I going to write? And I thought, I don't want to just write, so glad that you came to see us and whatever. Now, back then, I was very cheeky, very, you know, mischievous. (laughs) So I actually wrote, asked her out on a date in the card. (laughs) (laughs) I was out on a date. And I've still got the newspaper article in my home. And I said, if you want to go on a date, here's my telephone number. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I wrote in the card. And I'll never forget when she came in, because at this on this day I was in a side room. And I never forget, I was sitting down having dialysis, and this woman walked in, and I mean, she was tall. Because I just remember looking up and I could have fainted, no lie. She was absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> she was so pretty. But unfortunately, I got so shy. It's oh, like no. <laughs> So it's like, what do I say to this woman? But, you know, it was such a, an amazing experience because she came in and she was so humble. She sat down with me for about 10 minutes asking me how I'm finding the treatment, how long I've been on treatment for, you know, just the simplest questions. You know, like when you're older, what do you want to do? Stuff like that. And it just made everybody in the unit feel so special that someone of this caliber came yeah, just to spend a few minutes with us. You know, she could have easily just like waved and then walked on. But I remember she took the time, like 10 minutes with every patient to speak to all of us. And there was literally like maybe 20, 30 of us. And yeah, it was not a bother to her. She didn't rush. And it was just such a, it was a moment, let's put it that way, that I will forever hold dearly in my heart. That is such an incredibly sweet story. And, um, credit to you to be brave enough to ask her out on a date I mean mean, that that story is even more sweet because you know sadly with her passing it's yeah it's just yeah it it was such a moment I'm just gushing here I'm just like oh you start crying I'm just jealous like no no I mean it was it was yeah that's all I can say it was a moment you know that we hear so much about quote-unquote celebrities and all this kind of stuff and you're never quite sure how they're going to be when you or if you ever get a chance to meet them you know and yeah you read things in the newspaper or magazines or whatever but when you actually get to sit down with these people and actually think you know what they're human beings at the end of the day and to see that she actually genuinely cared you know you could tell that she cared the time that she took as I said asking questions sitting down with everybody and you know, we were in a really sick at the time, you know, on dialysis. I, some of my friends were really poorly. 
you know, she would literally give them a big hug and, you know, the smile, even if it's like five minutes, you know, it just, it was priceless to us. So again, you know, yeah, amazing. I I can't say enough about it. (laughs) You went on to have your second transplant. Yeah. Tell me about that. So my second transplant, to be fair, was pretty much like the first one, you know, where Again, got a call. I can't remember the time, morning, noon or night, but it's always a rush. You know, this kind of stuff, when you get called for a transplant, everything is time sensitive. You know, the kidney only has a limited lifespan before, you know, quote unquote, they have to throw it away. So again, rushed down to the hospital, still in Great Ormond. And how old were you? I'm going to say probably about, so let's say about 13 they say about 13. Yeah, done all the tests, x-ray, scans. The results take about six to seven hours. And in that period, you are literally on eggshells. You don't know what to do because it's literally like you're waiting to see if you're going to get your life back, you know. But I do remember on this occasion, three of us were called on this occasion because they have to call somebody else just in case you're not a match and they don't want the kidney to go to waste. And they keep us all in separate rooms so we don't know who, where the other person is or whatever, but they do say, okay, it's another person or two people or three people. So I remember I was walking up and down the corridor and I couldn't sit still. And I always remember my mom saying, sit still, it's going to be all right, just calm down. I thought, how do you know? <laughs> you know, you don't know. And I remember, again, my consultant walking in and the walk from my bed to the door was literally a couple of seconds, but it felt like hours. <laughs> you know, and said, Mr. Ferguson, we're going to give you the kidney. And again, I was absolutely smiling. You know, there was no fear. There was nothing. Went down, had the transplant, came back. The same excitement every time about peeing, urinating, the same thing, smiling, happy. Thank God the kidney's working. And yeah, I was in and out of hospital literally like five days. (laughs) You, You know, recovered really quickly kidney worked immediately and yeah just went back out and got on my life back to school back to being a normal kid you know playing football every day because I wanted to be a professional footballer yeah and it was again it's always a great experience you know and a great privilege to be able to have a transplant because there's so many people waiting may never get the opportunity so when you get that nod of approval you know you're so grateful for life Unfortunately, this kidney went on to fail. What were the circumstances around this kidney failing? So again, when a kidney fails, they don't really give much information. You know, they try and find out by doing biopsies or scans, correct your medication, you know, try and give you more steroids to try and fight whatever's going on. But I do remember they they were saying, but this kidney's going to fail. <laughs> and because I'm older now, it's starting to affect me in a different way. You know, this is where it starts to play on the mind a little bit, you, you know, where the protection of my parents is still there. But because I'm older, I'm now taking more accountability, you know, and kind of understand what's going on. And it affected me because I now realise, okay, the hopes and dreams of playing for Manchester United is fading, (laughs) you you know, was settled in school at the time. And I realized, okay, 
I'm going to be out of school for however long again, you know, because I had to leave school early to go on dialysis. So, yeah, this one affected me. But in the back of my mind, it's like, okay, Dan, you're still young enough to be able to get another one. It may take some time. And I remember I went on the transplant list pretty quick because I'm young, (laughs) you know. And, yeah, just adjusted to my new life of going back on dialysis, even though it was tiring going from Milton Keynes to London three times a week, you know, still going to school as much as I can. And then having dialysis coming home sometimes midnight, 1 a.m. and trying to function somehow at school. (laughs) Um, Thank God I done it to the best of my ability. I done it. I've always had the character not to give up and try and give my best in everything that I do. But yeah, it was a little bit more difficult this time, but thank God I got through it. How old were you approximately at this time while you're doing all so of this? I was still at Great Ormond Street, so I would have been about 13. So at 13 years old, you're having to travel long distance to go to dialysis three times a week. Yeah. Have the dialysis process, travel all the way back and somehow balance school yeah. and your studies and all of that as well. Yeah. I mean, that within itself, just the dialysis alone mm. is a full-time job. Exactly. Travelling, the impact on your body must have been really difficult. I mean, how were you, like, physically at that time? What was the impact on you physically? So physically, yeah, I, I, I definitely didn't feel like how I should feel at that age. You know, having tubes and surgeries and in the midst of all these surgeries, I was having different procedures as well. So I definitely felt like I was the odd person, <laughs> you know, and very tired. And I, I do know that I, I really struggled at school, to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you now and be honest, I wasn't an A-star student. <laughs> you know, I wasn't. And yeah, that's something that I had to come to terms with, you know, because there was no way that I was able to concentrate as much as I could have or or should have at school because I was very tired. To be honest, I can't blame just the kidney failure with school. I was a very mischievous child as well. (laughs) You know, I was. But yeah, talking about the whole kidney situation, it definitely took its toll on my body, physically, mentally, and my education as well. Anybody listening would totally understand why you wouldn't be, quote unquote, a star student with having all those challenges to overcome. I think just to even be able to attend school alone is an achievement within itself with all of those challenges and difficulties that you had to overcome. I think it was a credit to you. I mean, you say you were mischievous, but I think it's a credit (laughs) to you that you were able to even go to school at all. And be able to yeah. learn under those circumstances. So, I mean, credit to you that you were able to keep going all of that time. Absolutely. No, thank you. But I mean, I've always been one that I love school. <laughs> you know, I remember when we had um, hospital appointments in the morning and my mum would say, OK, you can go home and rest. I'm like, no, I'm going to school. <laughs> you know, even if it's for like two hours, I'm like, no, I'm going to school. And then after school, I try and do like football training and stuff like this I, I just wanted to hold on so you've had dialysis or you've had an appointment gone to school and then you're going to football as well 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. wow. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Definitely a warrior from a young age. Definitely. <laughs> no, nah, do you know what it was? It was just like, I just wanted to prove to myself that I'm a normal person. You know, yeah, I'm going to school with maybe a tube in my stomach or whatever the case may be. Going to school and doing football training took my mind off what I was going through. You know, so even if it was for 20 minutes, half an hour, being able to run around, play football, that was enough for me. You know, obviously when I came home, I really felt it. <laughs> you know, my body was like, oh, hold on a second. What are you <laughs> doing? Kid- yeah, it's like you're a kidney patient here. I can't be doing dialysis and then going to school and then playing football. You need to kind of take it easy. But from a young age, I always remember kind of defying what my body told me. You know, if my body told me it needs sleep, I would get up and do something completely the opposite. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, complete opposite. Because, like, no, I'm still young. You know, yes, I have kidney failure. Yes, I have dialysis. Yes, I've had transplants. But I'm still a young person. And I'm still going to try and play for Manchester United, no matter how I'm feeling. Oh. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I regretted it from the pain that I felt. But, yeah, I always just felt like, Darren, you know, you're no different than these other guys that you're playing with. You know, so go out there and give it 100% at the detriment of how I'm feeling. But I always had this thing in my mind when I was younger, even if it kills me, I'm going to do something to feel like a normal person. I think that feeling of wanting to claim some sort of normality in the midst of what can be a very chaotic situation, I can definitely relate to. Sometimes we can push ourselves too far. And I think it's important to say that we're certainly not abdicating people, not listening to their body, because we definitely on Diary of a Kidney Warrior podcast encourage people to listen to their body when their body's telling them to rest, to rest. But we are giving that space for you to share your story as it is. So, So what I'm saying is, this is your experience, but with people listening, we just want to say, listen to your body. So it's oh, 100, 100%. Yeah, definitely. 100%, 100%, underlining that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm older now. Yeah. I, older I listen to my older. body. Yeah. I, I, I listen to my body and 100% I agree with you. You really should. If your body's telling you to lie down and rest, rest. do it. Rest. Because your body's telling you for a reason. And this is what I'm saying. When I was younger, I would do the opposite of what my body's telling me. But the next day and the next day after, I will feel it. <laughs> <laughs> body knows. Your body will the tell body you. <laughs> the body knows. But as I said, even if it's for the 20 minutes, half an hour, yes. that I'm able to feel like a normal young person, then I would do it. And I'll be like, you know, stuff the consequences. <laughs> you know, I'll, de- I'll deal with that when it comes. <laughs> but yes, listen to your body. <laughs> so you went back on to hemodialysis after the failure of your second kidney transplant. Yeah. So how long were you on hemodialysis after that? So I was on on it for four years. And during this period, because at Great Ormond Street, it's a children's hospital, so you have to leave there at a certain age. And I remember having a conversation with my consultant, and he was saying, okay, Darren, it's time to leave. And I'm like, leave where? <laughs> like, this is my home. <laughs> he's like no we can only have you till you're 16 and then you've got to go to an adult hospital I'm like well I'm not an adult I'm only 16 (laughs) you know and he said well we're gonna send you to Royal Free Hospital I'm like where on earth is Royal Free I've never heard of it I don't want to go there and 
it was a battle between me and my consultant. I'm like, I'm not leaving. I will turn up every day at this hospital if I have to. <laughs> but yeah, it was really difficult, to be honest with you, leaving Great Ormond Street to Royal Free at the age of 16. Yeah, and the last day that I was at Great Ormond Street, I was in floods of tears because, like, you know, made great friends, you know, great consultants, great dietitians, great pharmacists, great. <laughs> Everybody was just great. You know, I've been there from three weeks old to now 16. So we were like family, you know. And yeah, when I went to Royal Free, I remember walking into this hospital and said, I hate it. <laughs> Absolutely hate it. Didn't want to be there at all. Met this new consultant. And to be fair, I did treat him really mean, to be fair. I didn't want to hear from him. I didn't want to talk to him. But it was just that transition period in my life, going from a child to, quote unquote, what they say, adulthood. So, yeah, that's where I had my third kidney transplant at Royal Free Hospital in London. I can completely understand why that would be such a difficult transition for you to spend literally your whole childhood with one hospital, the staff, your fellow patients, yeah. build a really good relationship with all of them and, and your consultant and then literally be like, okay, you're 16 now, you have to yeah. go. Get I, out. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can <laughs> only imagine that must have been even like a grieving process for you in terms yeah, of was, going from one to the other. Yeah, sure. It was, as I said before, it was really difficult, really difficult because I was going into a world that I didn't know. You know, I didn't know anybody, didn't have any friends. I didn't know, I didn't even know what the dialysis unit looked like or I didn't know nothing at all. So yeah, I did kick up a stink about it, to be honest, kick up a fuss. But it was beyond my control and it was beyond my consultant's control. You know, and then on the last day, my consultant was like, you know what, if I could allow you to stay, I would allow you to stay, you know, but um, it was just one of those things. But yeah, it's just very upsetting. And it, it did take me a while to process the whole thing of leaving Great Ormond to this new hospital. Because I remember going to appointments and I was sitting in the car and I was still thinking I'm going to Great Ormond Street Hospital, then I'm going to this other hospital. But like anything, you can get used to it. It took me longer, but I adjusted. You went on to have your third kidney transplant at this new hospital. And how old yeah. were you at that time? At the time of my first transplant, I was 17. And how did this kidney transplant come about? Okay, this one, to be honest, is probably the most difficult one. Again, phone call, same scenario. The reason why this one was different is because when we got to the hospital, I was the only person called for this kidney. They said, Miss Ferguson, there's nobody else. This kidney, you're going to get it. It's a perfect match. You know, it's almost like coming from your mom, your dad, your brother. So there was no need to call anybody. <laughs> we knew it's just out of protocol while we have to do the test. So again, done the test and they all came back really quick. And yeah, just came back to me and said, yeah, you can have the transplant. We knew it. Perfect match. So again, went down and had the transplant. And yeah, <laughs> interesting. So you say that it was interesting. Why do you say that? So where my previous transplants lasted for a few years, this one only lasted eight hours. Wow. Yeah. Before I even woke up 
from the surgery, they had to take me back down to theatre to remove it. Yeah, and I remember waking up, and I knew I wasn't passing urine, but I didn't know to the extent of what happened. And I'll never forget, my mum was standing on the right-hand side near the door, and she was really upset, but I couldn't tell like what was going on. So I said, did the kidney work? And I remember she just came over and leaned her head in my shoulder and just whispered, really sorry, son, it didn't work. They had to remove it before you even woke up. Yeah, it was really, <laughs> yeah. I'm a mature teenager now, <laughs> so I understand what's going on. And from that, it was literally, from the time the words left my mum's mouth to whatever happened in that car, I just went in a very dark place, very dark. It was like instantly I fell into this depression. Like I didn't want to talk to nobody. I didn't want to see anybody. I remember the consultant coming in and trying to explain what happened. And I just said, like, take these tubes out. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want no tubes in. I don't want nothing. I started crying, you, you know, and in a way I blamed them at the time. You know, you told me this was a perfect match. You know, a few hours, I planned my whole life. I wrote out a list. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. They said it was a perfect match. It should last 20 years. So in my mind, it's like, you told me it was going to last 20 years. It didn't even last eight hours. <laughs> and to be fair to them, they really tried to explain that while the kidney was in, instantly they put it in, they don't understand, but just had a major infection. My body just didn't take to it at all. And if they left it in, I was going to die. But I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, as silly as it sounds. I didn't care. All I was thinking is like, yeah, I'm going to get my life back. I'm going to recover from this surgery. I'm going to be able to do what I need to do. As I've said previously, now is my chance that I'm going to play for Man United because I'm going to get 20 years out of this kidney. So there's nothing stopping me. But yeah, I just fell into such a deep depression after this transplant that I couldn't be left alone. I had suicidal thoughts. I didn't play football. Didn't want to go out with my friends. Like, for me, it's almost like life stopped, you know? I couldn't be left alone. So even to go to the toilet, my parents had to follow me. When I was in education, my parents had to say, don't leave him on his own. They were worried that I was going to do something. My friends knew that I was completely different because the things that would normally make me laugh or the places I wanted to go, normally go to, I just wasn't interested at all. And then in the middle of all this depression, I had to try and navigate been back on dialysis and it's really bad because there were times that I didn't turn up for dialysis because at this point I didn't care if I lived or died to be honest with you because with the third transplant that's where I started to understand the the realness of what chronic kidney disease is you know I had enough information I knew what I was going on but it didn't come from a family member so it's like why am I dealing with this you know my mom's fine my dad's fine my brother's fine you know, because when you go see the doctor, they say, does anyone in the family have it? Does anyone else suffer? So they can kind of trace it. There was nobody. It was just me, one, that I had this. And yeah, I just thought, you know what? Stuff this, forget it. It's better off if I'm not here. <laughs> you know, I'm tired of the transplants. I'm tired of the procedures. I'm tired of dialysis. I'm just tired. <laughs> Mentally, physically, emotionally, I'm just done. 
But yeah, I, I was forced to dialysis, as they would do, obviously. But there was no emotion, not at all. I just sat there, didn't talk to anybody, done what I had to do, go home. And yeah, that was my life for a, a long period, to be honest with you. Yeah. Thank you for being so brave to share such a difficult and dark period of your journey with chronic kidney disease. And I commend you for your bravery because I can only begin to imagine how difficult it is to share about something so dark and so difficult. How did you come through that? How did you come out of this depression that you were in? To be honest with you, with great difficulty. Yeah, it wasn't easy at all. But I remember one day I was I was at my in my parents' house and my dad had a fish tank <laughs> and I was literally just standing there watching the fish up and down, up and down. And I remember thinking, oh, it's easy for you guys. All you got to do is swim up and down, you know, have <laughs> no challenges whatsoever. And I remember, like, because I've always been a fighter. I've always, I thank God that he's always put this, like, fighting instinct in me to never quit, never give up, no matter what's going on in life. I would never forget, I was standing by this fish tank and I started to have a conversation with myself because this has been a few months now. And it was almost like, Dan, what are you going to do? You know, are you going to feel sorry for yourself? Are you actually going to kill yourself? Obviously not why you would have done it by now. And it dawned on me that everybody on the planet has something to go through. Like everybody. I don't care how rich you are, you know, no matter how many houses or cars that you have, no matter the status of your life, everybody on the planet has something to go through. Sickness, financial, relationship, whatever it is. And I just said, you know what, Dan, this is what you have to go through. This is your lot or whatever. This is your journey. And somehow you have to find a way to recover. You know, it didn't happen instantly, but it's almost like that was the first step, you know, to recovering of Darren on this journey we call chronic kidney disease. I still didn't want to hear anything about transplants or I, I didn't want to have any conversation about that. My job at that point was just to live minute by minute, you know, recover minute by minute, not even hour or day by day. This is like literally if we can get through the first minute, then we're doing OK, you know. And then, yeah, that's how the journey started to me starting to feel a little bit normal. I was able to talk to a psychologist at the hospital to really say how I'm feeling, you know, because at the time I couldn't really speak to my parents because obviously I had to think, well, they're going through some sort of emotion as well, you know. So I spoke to a psychologist and then, yeah, it went from minute by minute to hour by hour, and then day by day. Now, sitting here now, I don't really feel that I've overcome the third transplant. You know, it's something that I would live with forever. Yes, I've had transplants, but the third one would always be the one that I always remember, you know, because that was like the lowest point in my life, you know. But at the same time, it's where I really discovered who I was as a person, as an individual. 
and to really think, you know what, if I can overcome my third transplant, there's nothing life can throw at me that I can't overcome, you know. Yeah, I thank God for the strength that he's given me. I think that he's brought me through so much. But that was the journey of discovering who Darren was and discovering, like, let's start to live life again as best as I could. So for anyone listening who is going through that dark time, who is really struggling to come to terms with their situation, what advice or encouragement do you have for them? What I would say is don't deny where you're at right now. Because I think as human beings, sometimes we, we don't admit where we are. You know, yeah, we're in a dark place. Okay. But my encouragement would be to take your time to get up and fight. Find a reason to get up and fight. You know, if you're married, your husband, your wife, if you've got children, your children, whatever your reason, we all need a reason in life to keep fighting and to keep surviving. Without that, we've got no hope. So my encouragement would be find a way to fight, as crazy as it sounds. And I know it may sound easier said than done. I would say, if possible, find somebody to walk you through this journey. Somebody. You know, no man's an island, as we always hear, but find somebody. If it's a consultant, a friend, husband, wife, whoever, we all need somebody. But I would also say, if you don't have it, try and get an attitude or a determination, this dog determination that you just won't quit. <laughs> you, you, you know, I had to develop it very early from a very young age. And I don't want anybody to feel like this is the end, whatever the situation. I know we're talking about kidneys on this platform, but somebody may hear who may be going through financial difficulty, relationship, whatever it may be fight and don't quit and I promise you maybe not today maybe not tomorrow next month or even next year but it will get better but it starts with the mind it definitely starts with the mind that's what I discovered that if I can get my mind right if I can get my mind strong then my body will catch up so yeah don't quit fight and get your mind right Thank you so much. That was such a powerful, powerful word of encouragement. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you for listening to part one of Darren's Kidney Warrior Kidney Transplant Story. Stay tuned for the next episode, which is part two of Darren's remarkable story. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, then don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode. Sign up for the Diary of a Kidney Warrior family mailing list and follow me on social media. Until next time, take care and choose to live. Diary of a Kidney Warrior, sharing faith, knowledge, hope and love.